have felt, I think, especially in this season, uh, I tend to say that. I tend to ask that phrase, how you doing? Good? And, uh, and I, I don't ever want you to be fake. I want you to be honest. Because not everybody in here is good. I don't know if y'all know that. Some of y'all know that because you're like inside going, amen. Uh, that's the first thing I can agree with today. Um, but I had this thought yesterday as I was thinking about this morning. I even when I, I ran through it a little bit, I thought of that, how are you doing? You guys good? Because I know I say it every time. And I think the reality of it is, and, and not that God can't and won't work outside of uh, our honesty with him. But I, and I wrote this yesterday, is that um, if we aren't honest about where we are, um, how do we expect God to meet us where we are? And I know he knows. I understand that. Uh, but God desires more than anything our honesty and transparency. He does not desire us to act like we are something more or to pretend that everything is better than it is. He wants us to be as honest and as transparent with him as we possibly can be. Because in that, we find his strength. Amen? And so I would just encourage you this morning, even as we're preaching through some things, um, just be honest about where you are and let God meet you there. Amen? You can't get to point B if you don't know where point A is. And so I would, I would just, I would love for you to, uh, and I, I really would also encourage you. <laughs> um, let me just encourage you in a few things. Um, I would really encourage you to go listen last week. Uh, it is it, every, every day this week I've thought about last weekend and uh, that I, our pursuit is not joy. Our pursuit is Jesus and the Holy Spirit produces joy. And we have a lot of people pursuing happiness. And I, look, it's even part of what we say as a country. It's the pursuit of happiness. And, I've, and I'm cool with that. I understand the purpose of it. But I've found that my running after happiness uh, actually makes me frustrated um, because then I have to define it and say all these different things. Well, this is what it looks like, and this is what it looks like, and, this is, and then it's circumstantial and, uh, and rather than consistent. And so if I pursue Jesus, the one who never changes, the one who is a rock upon which I can build my house, amen, um, unless I pursue him, I find a joy that is up and down. And so I pursue Jesus, put my eyes upon him. I choose Jesus. I don't choose my circumstance. I choose my conviction, and I choose the cause that might have the effect of joy. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, just joking. Okay. Isaiah chapter... Actually, no. I'm sorry. I want to go back to Luke chapter 2, where we were last week, and then we'll come back to Isaiah 9. And uh, Luke chapter 2, where we were last weekend, when the shepherds were in the field, and um, uh, the angels showed up. Uh, and said a couple things to him, which is where we get our great joy. He, they, the angel says, I give you good news that will cause great joy. Sometimes we try to get great joy to cause great joy, and it doesn't really work. Good news that will cause great joy. So you need good news. Uh, but you only need news if you need, you only need news if you actually have a need. And so um, let's go. Ready? Everybody with me? Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. And I, I, and I, I may be reading into this, and that's okay. Some of you guys can decide to, uh, to push this off to the side. But um, as I read that yesterday, I thought, you know, we always make that limited, that phrase, do not be afraid, limited to that moment. As in, the only thing that these shepherds were fearful of 
were the angels that had shown up. And that is absolutely part of this. There's no doubt that the the idea of them being afraid was because of the glory and because of the angels and because of the brightness and because of the fact that out of nowhere in the middle of the night an angel showed up. How many of you know that is a little bit terrifying? No? You guys are good with that? Okay. But I also think that, that we understand that these were people in waiting. These were people... Uh, waiting for their Savior, and, and, and that, that part of their fear was beyond just the moment they were in, but the circumstances they found themselves in. And so the angel says, do not be afraid, because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Again, if you make joy circumstantial, then you limit joy for anyone that doesn't have your circumstance. You, limit, you say that joy doesn't apply to you until you have my circumstance, or we begin to all create our own circumstance where joy is found, and the problem is then we don't like each other's circumstances. Because my circumstance might be that I like when the Cowboys win, and your circumstance might be when the Redskins win. Right? That's a terrible decision. We know you ain't saved. And... Uh, But the problem with that is when the Redskins and the Cowboys play, now one of us, no matter how much we want it to be circumstantial, no matter what, one of us isn't going to have the joy we so desire. And you can can take that beyond just, obviously, a football illustration. When you begin, and how many of you know the issue that we have in our nation is not so much just about, well, well, the truth is that most of what we're dealing with, there are certain things that we all want that will make us happy. And the problem is when our wants bump up against someone else's wants. And then we can't all have what we want. How many got kids? Amen? Preacher, preacher. Right? And so he says the good news that will cause great joy will be for all the people. The only way it will be for all the people if it's causal and it's not circumstantial. Today a Savior. We say a Savior. Today a Savior. The only reason this is a challenging phrase to me is it says today, who is, today a Savior who is the Messiah. Uh, the challenging thing about a Savior is if I acknowledge that he's a Savior, it means that I've also acknowledged that I needed saving. And that is a hard thing for uh, especially us independent Americans who think we can do anything and everything alone. Uh, we don't like to admit that we need saving. Uh, we don't like to admit that there might be a shadow in our life somewhere, somehow. Uh, but to admit that we need a Savior is to admit that we need some saving. And admit that we don't have everything and all things together. That we don't have joy for all people. And we don't have joy for every area of our life. We need some saving. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Who was born for you. It's one of the great statements of love in the Bible. Obviously, uh, just after Jesus dying on the cross. But this Savior was born for you. I love that. The gift that is for you. I pointed out to Meredith actually this morning. I said, have you looked at your gift yet? She goes, no. And I go, because it's been sitting right there in the box, untaped. Like you could have opened it, put it back in exactly the way it was. Because Mare is a snooper. Mare is one who goes looking for the gifts. Anybody, anybody have that? Yeah. It makes me so angry. And, uh, but I left it out in plain sight. She had not checked it. And so then this morning, after I told her that, she goes, you should not have told me that. So I had to go hide it. Did you find it? Did you go looking for it? Liar. Um, she will later. She will later. I think I'm pretty good, though. Um, and, 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 and here's the thing. How many of you know you like getting gifts? 
right? When, uh, when Kaysen had a buddy over or, or some friends over from the neighborhood, they came in yesterday and they saw the presents around the tree and they asked Kaysen which one was his and he kind of knew. I'm not sure he really knew, but he was pointing to the ones he hoped were his because they, maybe they were bigger or whatever. And, uh, and we all like gifts. We all like gifts and they're for us. We like giving away gifts. I get that. But we also like when gifts are for us. Right? There is something fun when, when you, are, you, you get a gift, when, the tree, when a gift is taken out from under the tree and handed to you and someone says, this one's for you. Right? Isn't that one of the best phrases on Christmas morning? Hey, this one's for you. You're like, oh, yeah, it is. And, then, and you're just filled with expectation until you open it and you realize grandma did it again. And, uh, you know, um, but you're excited about it. There's something really special about the fact that God of all the earth, and obviously I understand if you don't believe in God, then this is maybe not as special to you, but I believe that God is there and he is present and that he gave a gift to us. And I love that he did not give a new set of ideals. He did not give a new set of Ten Commandments. He did not give a new philosophy. He did not give, he gave a person. I love that. And, uh, and I think that's one of the things that sets Jesus apart. The truth is that what sets Jesus apart is that he didn't write about himself. Other people did. Uh, Most religions, you have someone who wrote about themselves or about their own beliefs during their lifetime. The other thing that really sets apart Jesus is that he came from heaven. He didn't go to heaven and come back. He came from heaven and went back to heaven. Heaven was his home. The earth was never his home. The earth was a place he came to save and bring heaven to earth. And he didn't have to go somewhere to get a message. He was the message. And I think that's valuable. I think that's important. If someone says to you, why is Jesus different than anyone else? Because he never said earth was his home and had to go somewhere to get a message he didn't have up until that point. He had it, and he brought it to earth. And he said, I'll give this to you, and it's for you freely, and it's for all people, and it's great joy. This is for you. I'm going to go back to earth. I'm going to go back to heaven. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Run with it. I love that. Okay. Let's get into some apologetics, I guess, huh? You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. I don't know if they knew they were wrapping, but they were. Okay, Isaiah chapter 9. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. Because as awesome as it is that we got a Savior, uh, it's, it's important that we know what that Savior looked like. And so we read the first part of this, and I even got into a bit of verse uh, 6, but this was a prophetic word, and some would argue that this was not a prophetic word, that it was a present-day word for a present-day king, um, and, and because of the phrasing of it, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but the problem is, 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 is that the, fra- the wording and the titles that he uses for this king are uh, divine in nature. They, they have an element of this is more than just a human, and some would say, well, no, no, it's, it's, it's just the way it's phrased. The problem is the same titles are used in subsequent chapters of Isaiah's same prophecy, so he's saying, and in those, there is no argument whether or not they are divine or whether or not they are God. The, 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 the the subsequent prophetic words given by Isaiah are using the same titles are absolutely divine. And so there is, there is based on its context, a very clear indication that these phrases are used of a divine God, that they are used of a divine, but this isn't just a person showing up to save the people right then in that moment, but that there was something future tense about it. So Isaiah in verse six says, for a child will be born. Here it is again, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. Now, it's interesting. If you're reading this in your translation, it might say something like, a child was born, is born 
for us. And a son will, is given to us. In other words, if you read it in different translations, you might find that some would translate it as present tense. Now, again, I know I just kind of touched on that in a moment. But, but, but here's the reality of it. And, and many commentators would say this, that the reason some of this is written in present tense and some is written in future tense is because those who write it in present tense are so convinced it is going to happen, that Isaiah was so convinced it was going to happen that he said it as it had already happened. That is, is in many ways the definition of faith. Right, the evidence of things unseen, that I can see it before you see it, and I can say it before you see it. That, that, it, that, that there's something about that that's going to happen. How many of you guys have ever walked into a, uh, maybe a competitive thing with a friend or family member and said, oh, it's already over. It's already done. And in fact, if, if we brought uh, Mr. Luka Doncic in here and we said, hey, why don't you play Brandon in basketball? <laughs> many of you would say, and Luka has won the game before it even started. Right? There's no, no chance. And so the, in many ways, the writer of Isaiah, when Isaiah is writing this, he's saying this as though it is, it is future but has already happened. Like there is no doubt in my mind that this is going to happen. And so as Isaiah 9 says, he says, the child was born for us, the son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be on his shoulders. Again, sometimes we take these things very literally. And, and, and even in, in Jesus' day, the people who saw Jesus come, they would have said, uh, oh, he was going to be a mighty warrior who was going to defeat those who had occupied the people of Israel. Or he was going to come as a master politician, and he was going to literally rule in politics. But Jesus obviously did not really do that. Jesus came on a donkey. Jesus gave his life. He died. He didn't cause other people to die. He died. Uh, so he very much flipped the thing on its head. In fact, but, but it does say the government would rest on his shoulders. So how do you reconcile those things? I want to I read a quote to you, and there's no chance I'm going to remember it, so I put it on the screen. So go ahead and go to that quote. Why, what might such a government look like? And you can read it, or you can look at me reading it. It's however you want to go with that. Never really sure. First of all, it would look like it's king. Politicians of this day look for what they can get from you. Jesus looks for what he can do for you. Leaders of this day surround themselves with servants. Jesus surrounds us with his servanthood. Leaders of this day use their power to build their empire. Jesus uses his power to wash our feet and make us clean. Leaders of this day trade their influence for money. God so loved that he gave. Generals of this day need regular wars to keep their weapons and skills up to date and ensure their own advancement. Jesus brings peace and rest to hearts. The higher, of the, uh, the higher the plane of importance one reaches in this world, the more inaccessible he becomes. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Leaders of this day are desperate to be seen and heard. Jesus saw anonymity so he could be useful. Obviously, Jesus is not in charge of the halls of Washington, London, Moscow, Baghdad, Paris, or Bonn. Yeah. So how can we ever believe the government will be upon his shoulders? Actually, his government shows its workings in wonderful ways. Whenever I see someone who miraculously leaves a life of drugs or alcohol and is restored to his family and work, I can see that he is now governed by God. Whenever I see loving Christians gently caring for orphans and those rejected by family, I know I am watching people governed by God. Whenever I see people eagerly learning the Bible and joyously praising, I know who the governor is. Whenever I see people give up lucrative careers simply to go and share the good news of Jesus, I know they are governed by 
by God. When I see pastors carefully teach and lead the flock God has given them, I know they are getting signals from the great king. And when I see people leave family to live and teach in distant lands because they love the people who have, they, who have not heard, I know they are governed by God. So indeed, the government is alive and working. I wish I had come up with that. I didn't. I should have put my name there. The idea of heaven coming to earth was that the one who would bring heaven, the one who would reign in our hearts and lives was Jesus. And he had come into the world that he might reign, rule and reign in our hearts and lives. So the, 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 uh, so the kingdom of God is in many ways subversive. In many ways, it is people just showing up in ordinary life, being the people of God, ruled and reigned by Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, being moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and saying, this is who I am, wherever I am, whenever I am, and that is how he reigns. That does not, that does not exclude politics, and it does not exclude other things. It simply means it does not matter whether or not you are a politician. You can be, you don't have to be, to make change happen. Many of you have seen that at work in your own lives this year. Many of you have seen things happen in your life this year, not simply because you had a great podium or, or somehow a great level of influence, but simply because you had opened your home and welcomed people to your table. Or because you were consistent in someone's life who served you coffee every single day or served you a beer every single night, or maybe not every single night. But the point being that you were light in dark places, and we don't necessarily, see, I think we have to be careful. We love to call dark places a physical space. We love to say that part of the city is dark. They don't have it together. They don't have it. Man, that, is, that doesn't make any sense to me. Again, that is circumstantial Savior. That is circumstantial joy. It, 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 dark places of the earth is not about necessarily the physical geographical place. It can be in some situations, but it is about the people who have darkness in their hearts, who, who cannot see where the hope is coming from, who cannot see where the joy is found, who cannot see how peace is accessible, who cannot see a king who would love them in spite of them. They cannot see it, and they need people who would walk into their life, not necessarily just into their workplace, although that is necessary. For us to reach the hearts of the city, we must walk the streets of the city. So we must be people who bring light into every place. And then it gives the four characteristics of who the Son of God would be, who Jesus would be. It gives four titles, four names in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says four different things. And you have to remember that a name was expressing a nature. In other words, you didn't name someone just because it was cool. You named someone because you believed that would be their character. In fact, that's why you would oftentimes see the same name passed down. It would, there, was a, there was a purpose to it. That, that it, When I heard your name, and some of you know this, some of you have friends, when you hear their name, you, have, you don't just think of their face. You think of all the things they've done. When, you, when someone says to you, hey, I invited this person to the party, and you go, you don't think about how they're going to dress. You don't think about anything but, oh, are you serious? Like they are not a party. They are the opposite of a party. They are going to ruin this party. And so you're thinking of their nature, their character, 
When someone says, hey, I've invited them into this business deal or I've invited them into this situation or circumstance, you, you begin to think about their nature, not just their name. And so in many ways, when, when the author, when Isaiah is saying these titles or these names, and they really are more names than titles, when he's saying these names, he is using them more than just as identifiers. He's using them as descriptors of who this son would be and who this Savior would be and what this Savior would look like. So I want to give you four because I believe that many of us might grab on one of these four. And one of these four, now while we might believe all four, this is one of those Christmas specials, right? You get one and you get three free. All right? You, 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 you get, I went shopping yesterday. I saw all the signs. Buy one, get three free, and I almost did it. I didn't even need one. You know, they get you, man. Some of you ladies, man, you come home. But they said I get two, one free if I buy two, but you only needed one. You only need, you're only going to wear one. Mary doesn't do that. Okay. And, uh, but I went to these four, four names. And so these are the four names. And we're going to just kind of real quickly, not necessarily extensively, but we are going to kind of dive into each of these four. Okay. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The Savior that we speak of, the Savior that the angel was telling the shepherds about, the Savior that Isaiah is prophesying about, in other words, telling a future about, he, the, the, the name of this Savior, the name of this child, the, the things you will know him by would be these four things. And obviously there are probably others that we could speak of, but this is the one that gets brought about, talked about a lot during Christmas. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of peace. Let's break these down a little bit. I'm, again, like I said, I'm not necessarily giving you an extensive thing because really even just by me reading those, one of you guys could probably pick one or two that you'd really like to dig into. One or two that maybe right now in your current situation you needed to hear. Because some of us, we know, oh, Jesus was born. What we needed to hear is the wonderful counselor was born. What we needed to hear is the mighty God was born. What we needed to hear is that eternal father was born, that, that, that the prince of peace was born. And for some of us, that's what we need. That's what we needed to hear, that our Savior brought these things with him, that he would be known as these, these four things. Wonderful Counselor. Now, this one is kind of interesting because this one is actually, uh, again, depending on who you talk to, but, but uh, usually you read it as one thing, but it, it, this is kind of one of those things where, where, where this is meant to be two titles, two names. So you would say that God is wonderful and that God is a counselor. Jesus was born to be a God of wonder. To be a God of wonder. That, that, that our relationship with God should be one where we understand the wonder and the majesty of who he is. I love when our Apple TV goes to, um, goes to the screenshots, the, the, the screensavers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's okay if you don't, but uh, it's just cool pictures of like cities, uh, most of them uh, slow like drone footage or some of them are satellite footage. The most recent ones are like satellite footage where you can see like a whole country and then you can see the spots where the cities are and that you, because all of the light that's coming from those particular places or there's, there's different places I will never probably ever get to go in my entire lifetime and just to be able to see them is incredible. You might say it's wonderful to see the things that have been created and the things that have been shaped over the course of time and the things that God has originated and the things that it, it, it should cause us wonder. And in some ways, I remember uh, Paul David Tripp wrote a book called Awe, A-W-E. Not like awe, but like awe, like awesome. 
Because he, he, his thesis of the book was that our greatest challenge as people in every area, applied to every single area, is the lack of awe when it comes to who God is. Our lack of wonder. When was the last time you heard the name Jesus and it just stopped you in your tracks? The last time you heard about God, the creator, who made you. I mean, even if you just start thinking through all the things that have to go right for you to breathe every single day. It should cause a sense of wonder. So Jesus came not just teaching a good thing, uh, but performing many wonder, wonderful, wondrous things in the lives of people. Healing, calming storms, uh, raising from, rising from the dead. That seems to be a, a difficult one to do. Jesus rose from the dead. This is the, the, this, this awe and wonder. And then the next one is counselor. It, it, very similar to, to how you would describe the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is our counselor. He is our guide. How many of you guys have a friend who um, you love a lot, but you will never listen to? You know what I'm talking about? Somebody, somebody, I, I just saw Talisha kind of go, hmm. Is my husband my friend? <laughs> I love you, Shane. Uh, we, we, we have that friend, or, or, or we have that person we would love to listen to, but they won't be our friend. We just can't ever seem to get to their heart. They don't really seem to carry our heart either. We can't ever seem to match those up, right? And when we get the one that loves us and we will listen to, Oh, that's, that's where it's at. Then the counselor part here is not just a word of, I give you one word of advice. There's something deep. When you begin to look into the meaning of this word, there's something deeper under the surface, which is this consistent and faithful friend, this consistent and faithful leader, this consistent and faithful voice in your life who is the God of wonder, who can also speak into your every day, every moment life and counsel you and lead you and direct you so in january be still because he wants to speak amen he's our counselor he leads us the next one is mighty god mighty god and you kind of heard this referenced a bit that this is not meant to be one of just simply abused power it is power, it is strong, it is brave, but as one commentator said, this would be a power never abused and a compassion never exhausted. In other words, we have a good God and a great God. We've always made this statement, and we don't mean great as just better than good, we mean great as in mighty and powerful. We don't just have a good God who loves us and wants to do good things for us, and we don't just have a God who, who can do great things for us but doesn't really love us. We have one who loves us and can do things in our life. He is a mighty God to save. And so we have this mighty God. That in, in every situation, in every circumstance, in every part of our life, he is a mighty and powerful and great. 
I wrote down the lyrics to a song that some of you might know, and I'm debating whether or not we should sing. What a mighty God we serve. Anybody know? What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God. Come on, one more time. Hey. No, I'm just joking. Stop it. Okay, so some of y'all were like just on the edge of getting involved. And I shut it down for you. For you. I love you all. Mighty God. And the third one is eternal father. Now, this one can be a bit like, wait, Jesus is a father? I thought God was a father. Jesus prays to a father. I don't understand. If you really look back, when you, maybe some translations would say the father of eternity. In other words, uh, Jesus had the key to unlock the future and to keep the future in order. That all things were created by him and through him and for him. So Jesus is not limited by your present moment. Some of you need to know that Jesus has your future in mind. Some of you need to know that Jesus has the future. Just blanket statement there. That Jesus is not worried about all the days to come as though he is sitting on the edge of his seat, as though episode two got over and you don't know what's going to happen in episode three. The only thing that Jesus is wondering is, will you trust him in every moment? Will you trust him with your future? Will you trust him with the question marks and with the doubts and the concerns and the frustrations? Will you trust him with the unknowns? Will you trust him with those things? I think it's, I think it's interesting that we go to people who know nothing about the future and ask them to help us in our present. I'm not saying you don't need friends and you don't need help. I do think you need that. I'm just simply saying that so many times we put so much stock into people who can't change tomorrow to address our today. But I want my today to be shaped by my tomorrow, so I need to go to one who actually understands tomorrow. I need to go to one who looks at tomorrow and goes, I'm not scared of that. I'm not worried about that. I'm going to put my disciples in a boat at 3 o'clock in the morning and send them across the other way, even though I know a storm is coming. Because I need to walk on water, and I need to let one of them walk on water so they have a story to tell. I don't care if he drowned three steps in. He walked on water for three steps. Y'all ain't done that. And he still got to the other side, just a heads up. That's a sermon within a sermon for you, right there. That was... I need a God who sees the future and looks at my trials and my frustrations and goes, that's just for a season. And I might stick with you. And you might remember it a couple months from now. You might remember it a couple years from now. And I understand. I'm not... But it's, it's, it's now. It's not forever. But I'm with you in the now. Because I'm a wonderful counselor, and I will not leave you. But I'm also a mighty God who's faithful and consistent and able, and, and, and I'm eternal. I'm not going to end. It's not like you put my tr tr trust in me, and it's a 90-day money-back guarantee, and if I don't like you, you're out. I'm here. I will never stop being here. I will always be here. And when you end on this earth, you're coming here. And I will be with you forever. And then we're going to go back to earth because a new heaven and new earth are on their way. I, it, he, is, he is not worried about your future. But he understands your pain and frustration in the moment. And that's who I want with me on my side. And the last one is Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. He is the captain, the chief, the ruler of peace. The first step of peace for Jesus, his first priority of peace uh, was that he would make peace between us and God. That he would be the one who would bring peace between God and us. In our sin and his righteousness, there would be 
peace. That's the first deal. And, 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 and so the prince means that he's the one who gets to decide. The prince of peace. But you got to understand that one of the great prayers that Jesus ever prayed, prayers, not messages he preached, but prayers he prayed, was let them be one as you and I are one. And you heard Pastor Phil talk about this just a moment ago. Let us be one like Jesus who made the first step. Let us be one who makes the first step. Let us be people who love peace. Let us be people who are peacemakers because they will be blessed. Blessed are those who bring peace, who bring unity, who bring oneness, who make a way for others. I heard this the other day, and it kind of applies. I'm going to say it anyways. Is that true spiritual maturity is people who can look upon a friend and all their mistakes and all their frustrations and cover it up. And can cover it and love them in spite of it. Care for them, serve them be there for them regardless. So I think we should be a church who brings peace into the city of Fort Worth, every street and in every heart, because in spite of whatever has gone on, in spite of whatever is going on, we know that God is for them, that he is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is the father of eternity, and he is the prince of peace. In many ways, the names of Jesus should be the names of his church. The names of Jesus should be those that his bride adopts and lives with. That we would, we would see wonders in our church. That we would find counsel, faithful, consistent counsel in our church. That we'd see a mighty God at work in our church. That, that, that we would see eternity on our minds in our church and that, that, that we would be peacemaking, a peacemaking church. And I don't just mean that because we're here. I mean, as a church, we should bring those things into the world. We should bring those things to every street and every heart like never before. So I guess my question to us is, which one did you need today? I'm not, I'm not telling you to pick and choose from the Bible. I'm telling you that God made all of these available to you, and there might be one that you need more than others right now. And you know you will need more than ever on Tuesday. And you will know you will need more than ever on January 1st, and you will need it on February 7th, and you will need it on June 5th, and you will need on and on and on. You will need one of these. And right now, whatever season you're in, Christmas or not, you're in a season where you're going, man, I need a wonderful counselor. Man, I need a mighty God. I need a father who reminds me of eternity. I need a prince of peace. I need a peace amongst all the storm, a peace amongst all the situations. Which one is it for you today? You get all four. You get all four. But I believe God's okay if you choose one right now. I believe God's okay if you go, ah. Oh, I need the counselor today. Holy Spirit, I need, you to, I need you to show me Jesus again. I need you to give me a clear view of who he is. I, I need to hear the voice of God. I need, I need to know that you came to earth not just so we could have a tree and have some presence. No, you came because you are a savior. You're the Messiah. And it's good news and it's great joy because you are a mighty God. You're a wonderful counselor. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the Eternal Father. I was really hoping and praying that today many of us 
would make that decision to acknowledge our need for saving so we would acknowledge the gift of a Savior. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for today. God, I thank you.